Welcome to the Legendary Upside Podcast. My name is Pat Corain. You can find all of my content at legendaryupside.com. And this episode of the podcast is going to be a free preview of the narrated version of the Week 11 walkthrough. Uh, the full narrated version I posted late Thursday night, and you can check out if you are a premium member of Legendary Upside, uh, which you can become at legendaryupside.com. But let's go ahead and get to this free preview. The title of the post is Week 11 Walkthrough, Brandon Ayuk Hits Open Water. Welcome to the Week 11 Walkthrough. In this article, I'll outline critical fantasy football context for this 11th glorious week of football. The stats below are from PFF, NFL FastR, RBSDM.com, Rotoviz, Fantasy Labs, ESPN, NFL Next Gen, and Fantasy Life. The first game is the Cardinals at Texans. This is uh, at 1 p.m. Cardinals implied team total, 21.75. Kyler Murray's return to action was largely encouraging. Sure, he played inefficiently. His one game slots him in as quarterback 38 in EPA per game. But Murray was far better in success rate, ranking quarterback 20. And Murray looked healthy, rushing six times for 33 yards and a touchdown. Then I've got the EPA per game chart here. You can see that Kyler Murray, in terms of his efficiency, was pretty bad. Below Kenny Pickett, for example. Below Aiden O'Connell. Below Tyson Bajant. Below Desmond Ritter. So, yeah. Not great. But his success rate wasn't all that bad. Still below, like, Ritter and Bajant and Garoppolo and some other guys. But... Uh, ahead of like Matthew Stafford and Anthony Richardson, Jordan Love, Baker Mayfield. So, uh, you know, in his first game back in a one game sample, some positive signs uh, as well as, you know, not being a perfect game. Hopefully, Murray can build on a somewhat promising start in his second game back. And he gets a decent opportunity to do so against the Texans defense that ranks just 25th in EPA allowed per dropback. The Texans have a strong pass rush, but they aren't very strong against the pass overall. Then I have the passing matchup here, and yeah, you can see that the Texans are only 25th in EPA allowed per dropback, 16th in dropback success rate, 22nd in allowing explosive plays. Uh, I've added first read EPA per dropback. That's EPA on first read throws per overall dropback, Um, in this case allowed for the Texans defense, and uh, they're 23rd there. So they get to the passer pretty well, but in general, they're not all that strong of a pass defense. The Cardinals don't look strong as a passing offense, but of course, they did not have Kyler Murray for most of the year. Helpfully, the Texans don't take away first reads very well. That should help keep targets concentrated to Marquise Brown and Trey McBride, who both have high-end first read target rates. Honestly, I have those names listed in the wrong order. McBride is making a strong case that he is the top pass catcher in Arizona. He saw eight first read targets to Brown's three last week and his 22% first read target rate not only leads the Cardinals, it leads all tight ends. He's a clear-cut tight end one. Then I've got Trey McBride's profile here. First read target rate of 22% in the 100th percentile. He leads all tight ends there. He also has a 27% targets per route run, which is a 98th percentile for tight ends. 2.39 yards per route run. That's an elite mark for any player, especially a tight end. And he, That's 98th percentile among tight ends. Open score uh, of 59, which is 73rd percentile among tight ends. So he's getting open as well. They're not just feeding him targets as part of a system. Um, He's not an elite route runner, but still pretty good. So, uh, yeah, this is a pretty strong profile. Marquise Brown is also a play-calling priority with a 21% first read target rate. 
and Brown's 12.0 dot gives him big play upside on his targets. Given the Texans' pass rush, McBride looks like the slightly better fit for the matchup, but Brown is a very solid flex. Michael Wilson is also in play as a bet that the Cardinals play aggressively. If so, the Texans are likely to respond in kind, giving this matchup shootout potential. Then I've got a comparison between Marquise Brown, Michael Wilson, and Rondale Moore as well. Uh, And yeah, you could see that Brown's profile is by far the best here, but with Michael Wilson, it does pop that he's got this super high ADOT of 14.8. So, you know, big play potential for Wilson, even though he is a much less reliable target earner. But the Cardinals have been a conservative team with a minus 4% pass rate over expected and a minus 3% pass rate over expected on first and 10. Then I've got the pass rate over expected chart here. The Cardinals are near the Bears, the Raiders, the Titans. Um, These are, you know, all pretty conservative teams. So this is not the type of team that's been really pushing teams so far. Maybe that changes with Kyler Murray. Last week, they broke from that approach slightly. For the first time all season, they didn't post a negative pass rate over expected. However, they've yet to hit positive territory. Then I have their pass rate over expected by week, uh, minus 9% in week one, then minus three, minus five, minus 1%, minus 7%, minus 5%, minus 9%, minus 5%, minus 1%, and then last week, 0%. However, uh, they did have a 5% pass rate over expected. That's the first time in weeks uh, since they played the 49ers, they posted a 1% pass rate over expected. But then against the Bengals, the Rams, the Seahawks, um, the Ravens, they were slightly negative. The Browns, they were minus 5%. So, you know, it's it's been a while since we've seen them be positive on first down. And this is the first time they even hit 0% overall. The Cardinals could be tempted to play things conservatively here. The Texans have been decently successful against the run, but they rank just 31st in PFF's run grades and 23rd in run-stop win rate. The Cardinals could look to test them. Then I've got the rushing matchup here, and it's interesting because the Cardinals have been kind of successful overall on the ground, but they don't block all that well for the running game. And the Texans have been successful against the run, but they don't look like they have a particularly strong defensive line at stopping the run. So one of these teams is probably a little bit overrated on the ground. Wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals at least try to test this Texans run defense. I'll also note this chart includes uh, a couple new additions. So I I sometimes break this out into its own chart, sometimes tack it on to the, the typical matchup charts, but it includes the pass rate over expected for the Cardinals, their overall pass rate, So in this case, the Cardinals have a 62% pass rate and a minus 4% pass rate over expected. So, you know, they're kind of a a run first team, uh, borderline run heavy team. And then the Texans, they have a 63% pass rate against, a minus 1% pass rate of expected against, and teams are shifting when they play the Texans, minus 1% in their pass rate over expected. So the Texans minor, minor run funnel uh, would be the, the takeaway from this chart, minor, minor run funnel playing a run first team on the season overall. So, you know, some hints that we could see the Cardinals run a little bit more than we'd like. Jonathan Gannon will likely have a lot more confidence in his running game now that James Conner is back in the lineup. Conner returned to a 63% snap share against the Falcons with 67% of carries. He picked up where he left off. 
Then I've got the game log for John for James Conner. This is from Fantasy Life, and he's got a 63% snap share last week. That's pretty similar to where he was at in week three, 64%. In week four, he was at 60%. And 67% is actually his highest, second highest carry share of the season. He was typically at kind of between 50 and 58%. He did have 82% of carries back in week two. Uh, but yeah, this was about as strong as a workload as he's had all season. Connor's been impressive on the ground this season, ranking running back 10 in rush yards over expected per game and running back 19 in success rate. He's set up for a strong workload and has been delivering efficiently, making him a high-end RB2. And I've got Connor's profile here. Not much going on as a receiver, but efficient across the board as a rusher. Moving to the Texans, who have an implied team total of 26.75. C.J. Stroud was excellent against the Buccaneers two weeks ago and very good against the Bengals last week. He now has five games with a 60th plus percentile EPA per play and four games with a 60th plus percentile success rate. Then I've got C.J. Stroud's percentiles by week. And yeah, you can see he was excellent back in week three and four, kind of play dipped a little bit uh, in weeks five, six, and eight, but not really all that bad. Still 55th percentile to 65th percentile. And then was excellent again in week nine, dips a little bit to the 60th percentile against the Bengals. But, you know, he's just kind of logging strong performances with some elite performances. Uh, and that's been the case since week three, even week two, he was in the 53rd percentile. So he's one bad game this season. Really impressive rookie year. And when looking at the season-long numbers, Stroud is starting to look really impressive. He ranks quarterback 7 in EPA per game, just ahead of Tua Tagovailoa, And he ranks quarterback 16 in success rate, just ahead of Joe Burrow. Then I've got the EPA per game chart here. He's near Kirk Cousins. He's right behind Justin Herbert. Similar efficiency, but a little lower in success rate. Very similar to Joe Burrow in success rate, but quite a bit more efficient. And this is uh, pre-Thursday night football as well. So really uh, just very strong season. As impressive as Stroud has been, the Texans are still playing like they have a rookie quarterback. They have a minus 3% PROE and a minus 7% pass rate over expected on first and 10. And the run-heavy approach has largely run counter to game script. Then I have one of my most commonly referenced charts in the article, this uh, expected pass rate chart that has four quadrants. And the Texans are in the upper left, which is the group that, it, that is refusing to pass. So this is the Falcons zone. They're not like all the way up near the Falcons, but they are pretty far over. So they are, you know, a, clearly a run first team. And they just haven't been enough positive game script to like fully justify that approach. This is more, you know, this is kind of an identity. You know, they're, they're running because they run the ball, not always because of game script. The Texans let Stroud sling it against the Buccaneers, but they went back to a conservative approach against the Bengals, posting a suboptimal minus 12% pass rate of expected on first and 10. I get that the Texans want to force defenses to respect the run, but man, minus 12% is the type of rate you see from teams desperate to hide their quarterback. As productive as Stroud has been, he could be even better if the Texans were willing to lean on him more. Then I've got their pass rate over expected by week, and the game against the Buccaneers really stands out. It's the only game where you could really even say they were like truly pass first. Against the Jaguars in week three, they had a 1% pass rate of expected and a 2% pass rate of expected on first and 10. But that's kind of more of a balanced approach, like just a slight lean to the pass. 
Then against the Buccaneers, they were at 4% overall and 10% on first and 10. That's that's aggressive. But in every other game, they've been like borderline run heavy or run heavy. We're often seeing uh, pass rates over expected on first down of minus 10% or lower. So this is still a fairly conservative, uh, pretty conservative coaching staff when it comes to how they're designing their game plans. But just because the Texans were overly conservative last week doesn't mean that it'll be the case again this week. And if the Texans run the offense through Stroud this week, he could light up an extremely vulnerable Cardinals defense. The Cardinals are weak against the pass, ranking just 29th in EPA allowed per dropback and 29th in success rate. Even better, they look especially ill-suited to stopping this Texans offense. Stroud is having an incredibly impressive rookie season, so this isn't to take anything away from him, but to some extent he's playing point guard. His passes are often beautiful and perfectly timed, but he's also largely executing within a well-designed offensive system. This is illustrated by the Texans' high first-read EPA per dropback. Only the Lions and Dolphins rank higher. For Stroud to be efficient, it's helpful if the defense he's facing struggles to take away opponents' first reads. For example, the Bengals rank 24th in EPA allowed to first reads per dropback, and the Bengals rank 25th. The Cardinals rank dead last. We also know that the Texans like to attack the deep middle of the field. They rank first in EPA on splash zone throws per overall dropback. The Cardinals rank 20th in defending the splash zone. It's hard to know if the Texans will play aggressively this week. In some ways, that's up to Kyler Murray more than C.J. Stroud. But this sets up as an efficient outing for the impressive rookie. Then I've got the passing matchup here. And yeah, the Cardinals aren't really doing anything on in pass defense. They are limiting explosive plays a bit, but they aren't getting to the passer. They're 20th in splash zone EPA per dropback. They're dead last in first read EPA allowed per dropback. Um, this is not the defense you would pick to face this Texans offense right now. However, this will be an especially tricky week to predict where Stroud's throws will go, with Nico Collins expected to play. After Noah Brown's ridiculous two-week stretch, Collins' 2.63 yards per route run no longer leads the team, but it's still close, and Collins' efficiency is backed up by a strong 22% targets per route run, whereas Brown is seeing a much weaker 18% targets per route run. Provided the reports on Collins' health are positive heading into the game, he looks like a more trustworthy option than Brown, who has been absolutely crushing on his targets in a way that is simply unsustainable. Then I've got a comparison between Nico Collins, Tank Dell, and Noah Brown. Uh, Noah Brown's 16.3 is in the 9, 16.3 yards per target is in the 99th percentile for wide receivers. That's what I'm saying. It's just completely unsustainable. For example, like to compare Noah Brown to Nico Collins, he has a 16.3 yards per target with a 10.9 ADOT. The higher your ADOT, you know, you're getting more deeper targets. You would expect that your yards per target would increase to some extent. So he's got a 10.9 ADOT. That's lower than Nico Collins, who's got a 12.2 ADOT. Nico Collins has an 11.9 yards per target. That's significantly lower than Nico Collins' 16.3. And you could argue that Nico Collins is running hot in yards per target. <laughs> so, like, Nico Collins is in the 94th percentile. For yards per target, so just to give you an idea of just kind of how hot Noah Brown is running in yards per target right now. Um, Tank Dell is also listed here. I will get to him in a second. But Tank Dell looks like the strongest play at wide receiver. Given that he's a rookie, Dell's routes seem the least certain. 
but Dell has led the Texans in routes for three straight weeks, with route participation of 93%, 87%, and 98%. It seems unlikely that he would lose significant playing time to accommodate Robert Woods. Woods hasn't been bad this season, but he's hardly been a playmaker. He'll likely be limited to a part-time role, primarily as a slot receiver. Then I've got Woods' profile. He's got a yards per hour of just 1.14. Targets per hour of 20% is pretty solid. But open score uh, in the 41st percentile, which is significantly lower than both Collins, who's in the 61st percentile, and Tank Dell, who's in the 94th percentile. So it's possible that Woods gets a bunch of playing time, but it's not very logical that he would kind of recapture a bunch of routes here. Dell will likely work in the slot some as well, but Noah Brown should see work there more often. Brown has played 53% of his snaps in the slot, while Dell is at just 29%. The Texans' most common three wide receiver set is likely to be Collins and Dell on the outside with Brown in the slot. Dell has an elite 2.12 yards per route run. He ranks wide receiver six in open score, and he gets a great matchup. He's a high-end wide receiver two. Dalton Schultz also remains a very strong play. Schultz is earning targets at a near elite rate and has high-end route running talent to back that up. He's a locked-in tight end one. Then I've got Dalton Schultz's profile. First read target rate, uh, 15% is, is pretty solid. Targets per out run of 20% is quite good. Yards per out run of 1.61, quite good for a tight end. Well, it's pretty, you know good for a tight end. Open score of 63, also good for a tight end. So he's he's got a pretty solid profile, and then as a bet on the offense to be efficient, he makes a lot of sense. Arguably, the biggest issue for Texans receivers is the Cardinals' run defense. Arizona defends the run very poorly, ranking 24th in EPA allowed per play and 28th in rushing success rate. In combination with an offense that hasn't been pushing opponents, Arizona's poor run defense has turned them into a run funnel. Then I've got the rushing matchup and the uh, pass rates charts combined here. The Cardinals really jump out here as not being able to defend the run and being pretty clear run funnel. 55% pass rate over expect, sorry, 55% pass rate against minus 3% PROE against with a 3% shift to the run. And then you have this Texans team that is a run first team. You know, we would like them to be a little bit more pass first, but they've only done that in one game. They don't have a great running game, um, but they they still run the ball at a pretty decent clip. The hope here for the Texans' passing game is that Kyler Murray can change this dynamic. If not, Devin Singletary is going to get a lot of work. A couple of weeks ago on DFS MVP, I compared Singletary to Creeping Ivy. If you want a young running back to grow, make sure Devin Singletary isn't around. Because whatever backfield he's in, Singletary is going to take it over. That joke had more truth to it than I realized. Singletary is coming off a 23-point PPR outing against the Bengals, in which he played on 81% of snaps and handled 91% of carries. Then I've got his game log. <laughs> you know, he's kind of emerged from really being like a, a role player, just kind of a, a bit player with, you know, kind of around 25, you know, 35% of snaps. Uh, he emerged in week six a little bit to, to have 52% of snaps, then 41% in week eight. And then in week nine, with Pierce out, 75% of snaps, 72% of carries. That increased last week to 81% and 91%. With Damian Pierce missing practice again this week, it should be Singletary's show once again. Even in a great matchup, he doesn't project for an efficient game, 
but he's still a solid volume-based RB2. And I've got Devin Singletary's profile. He's not doing anything special at all. Everything looks pretty poor, but in NFL Next Gen stats, he's like kind of hitting the baseline marks at least. He's running back 22 in success rate, running back 24 in rush yards of respected per game. He hasn't been bad as a rusher. The next game is the Buccaneers at 49ers, which kicks off the late window. This is at 4.05 p.m. Eastern. Buccaneers implied team total, 14.75. Baker Mayfield is having a remarkable bounce back season. After looking like a backup level quarterback in 2022, he's up to quarterback 10 in EPA per game. The next chart is the EPA per game chart. Baker Mayfield, um, he's not that far off from like CJ Stroud uh, in terms of his efficiency. He's not that far off from Kirk Cousins. Uh, he's above Jared Goff, but the success rate has been much worse. He's, he's kind of bringing like a Matthew Stafford level of consistency with a much higher level of efficiency creates potential for negative aggression. But it looks dangerous to assume that Mayfield will sustain this level of efficiency going forward. He's just quarterback 22 in success rate, just behind Aiden O'Connell. And Mayfield gets a harrowing matchup with a 49ers pass defense that is elite at getting to the passer and in coverage. Then I've got the passing matchup. 49ers look really strong across the board against the pass. The only thing that pops is like a negative is the blitz rate. They don't blitz much, but you know, <laughs> kind of good for them, right? They, they have a really good pass rush. They don't need to blitz. They're limiting big plays. They're protecting the splash zone. They, uh, they are limiting first reads pretty well. The Buccaneers on the offensive side look pretty good overall. They're protecting pretty well. Um, they're only sixth in quick pressure rate. They're 16th in uh, pass block win rate, though. So, you know, maybe... A little bit of concern for this pass rush, and they're you know kind of a good, not great offense going against an elite pass defense. The Buccaneers are pass protecting pretty well, so they should be able to handle the 49ers pass rush to some extent. The bigger issue is what happens after Mayfield releases the ball from a clean pocket. The Buccaneers rank just 26th in EPA per dropback from a clean pocket and are facing a secondary that ranks third in PFF's coverage grades. Mayfield may get more clean pocket opportunities than most quarterbacks do when facing the 49ers, but that doesn't mean he won't make mistakes. And Mayfield could be dropping back a lot. The 49ers are better against the pass than the run, yet they have become a major pass funnel, as teams know they need to score points against the 49ers to have a chance at winning. Then I've got the pass rate charts here, and the 49ers 70% pass rate against 5% pass rate of expected against with a 5% shift to the pass. So teams really are attacking them through the air, kind of um, being proactive to some extent because, you know, it's no fun to pass against the 49ers. The Buccaneers are not an especially aggressive team. As we saw against the Bills, they are not above playing for a comfortable loss rather than pressing for a win. But at the same time, the Buccaneers are not as stubbornly committed to a run-heavy approach as an extreme team like the Falcons are. They may fight game script a bit, but they'll generally pass when the situation calls for it. Then I've got the expected pass rate chart, and they're actually in the quadrant of teams that are passing and passing game scripts, although it's close. They're kind of borderline between passing and passing game scripts and refusing to pass, and that seems pretty accurate, right? When you watch the Buccaneers, they're like kinda down to, to be fun, but they also sort of don't wanna be too fun. 
With the 49ers' high-end pass rush getting after Baker Mayfield, this may seem like a poor setup for Mike Evans, who has a very deep 14.9 ADOT. But Evans has seen 57% of his targets come via quick throws, 2.5 seconds or less. Chris Godwin is at only 54%. This highlights the impact of Evans' much higher first-read target rate. Evans' routes take longer to develop than Godwin's, but Mayfield is more frequently looking Evans' way first. This helps save time. Evans remains a wide receiver one in this matchup, with Godwin profiling as a low-end wide receiver two. Then I've got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin compared. Evans' open score is quite a bit stronger. He's 93rd percentile, Godwin's 74th percentile. First read target rate for Evans at 24% is elite. That's 99th percentile and quite a bit higher than Chris Godwin at uh, 19%, which is the 78th percentile. So that's something I think could really make a difference this week as Mayfield probably you know not going to have as much time for his second read as, as he might normally. Kate Otten looks viable as a garbage time bet. The tight end is running routes at a very high rate. He's not doing much else, but if you need a cheap option, he's not completely off the radar. And I've got Otten's profile. Nothing really exciting here except he runs a lot of routes. 86% route participation is 93rd percentile. The 49ers are somewhat weak against the run, ranking just 27th in EPL out per rush. However, they rank 19th in rushing success rate and 16th in run stop win rate. So they're more middling in run defense than bad. The trouble for the Buccaneers is that they've been very inefficient at moving the ball on the ground, ranking dead last in EPA per rush and rushing success rate. They're best off if they follow the established game plan against the 49ers by playing aggressively. Then I've got the rushing matchup, middling 49ers run defense, bad Buccaneers rushing offense. This would also be best for Rashad White's fantasy value. White has been extremely unexplosive as a rusher, ranking RB48 in rushers over expected per game and RB42 in breakaway yards per game. But he's been very impressive in the receiving game, ranking RB12 in yards per route run and RB1 in receiver rating. The more passing, the better. Then I have White's profile. Just He's still quite bad as a rusher, even though it's been better recently. Uh, 38% success rate isn't terrible. Uh, but yeah, no, no explosion as a rusher, really. But still very strong as a receiver. And his, his recent rushing performances should at least hold off competition. Although White isn't adding much burst in the run game, he's been borderline reliable on the ground with a 38% success rate. That should help keep him involved in short yardage and goal line situations. He's a solid RB2. Moving to the 49ers, who have an implied team total of 26.75. The 49ers are coming off a 34-3 demolition of the Jaguars, and all of a sudden, the Brock Purdy hate has quieted. That's as it should be. It never made any sense to be so critical of a quarterback who has had exactly one bad game this season. The next chart is Brock Purdy's percentiles by week. And yeah, he was really bad in week 6, 15th percentile in EPA per play. But then he jumped to 80th percentile, dropped to 51st in week 8, but you know, still above the 50th, and then 94th percentile last week. In success rate, this stretch has been even stronger. He dropped to the 7th percentile in week 6. That's that really bad game there but then jumps to 97th percentile, 95th, and 75th. Purdy's numbers are juiced. Let's get that out of the way. I never bought into Jimmy Garoppolo as anything close to an elite quarterback when he was with the 49ers. And just because Purdy ranks quarterback one in EPA per game and quarterback one in success rate, he's not the best quarterback in the NFL. 
but he does lead the NFL in those predictive metrics. To a large extent, he's playing point guard in the most point guard friendly system in sports. But the dude is one hell of a point guard. Then I've got his EPA per game chart, and he's kind of in a tier of his own right now with Josh Allen falling back a bit. Purdy, uh, yeah, he's, he's the most efficient quarterback in the NFL right now. Purdy now gets a Buccaneers defense that is both not good and especially vulnerable to the 49ers style of attack. The Buccaneers rank dead last in protecting the splash zone and are allowing 15 plus yard passes at the fourth highest rate. Meanwhile, the 49ers are generating explosive passes at the highest rate in the NFL, and only the Texans are generating more efficiency by attacking the deep middle of the field. Moreover, the Buccaneers don't have a good pass rush. They rank just 25th in ESPN's pass rush win rate and 25th in quick pressure rate. This is immensely good news for Purdy, who has had to deal with quite a bit of pressure this year. The 49ers rank 22nd in pass block win rate and 31st in quick pressure rate. Purdy has also had to deal with a lot of blitzes. The 49ers face extra rushers at the highest rate in the NFL, and the Buccaneers will bring the heat. They rank third in blitz rate, but the Bucs are not a very effective blitzing team, ranking 22nd in EPA allowed on blitz dropbacks. All in all, the Buccaneers have the exact weaknesses that Kyle Shanahan is designing his offense to exploit. Then I've got the passing matchup here, and yeah, (laughs) everything I've just mentioned. They don't get to the passer, and they don't protect uh, the areas of the field that you want to, the deep uh, and middle parts of the field, which is is where the 49ers are going to attack. They also don't limit first reads very well, and uh, the 49ers are quite good at kind of executing the plays. They they have they rank sixth in first read EPA per dropback. The Buccaneers are 25th in first read EPA allowed per dropback. 49ers targets can be difficult to predict, but there is no doubt that Brandon Ayuk leads the way on downfield targets over the middle of the field. Ayuk leads the NFL with a splash on target rate of 9.2%. He and Tyreek Hill at 8.5% are the only players above 6%. And fittingly, the next two highest players are another 49er and Dolphin, Jalen Waddle at 5.8% and Jawan Jennings at 5.3%. Ayuk isn't seeing targets in the splash zone by happenstance. It's what the offense is designed to do. And Ayuk is excelling in this role. Only Keenan Allen ranks higher in ESPN's open score. And only Tyreek Hill at 3.95 has a higher yards per route run than Ayuk's 3.11. To top it all off, the Buccaneers are double-teaming wide receivers at the fifth lowest rate. Ayuk is in a near-perfect spot for his skill set. If the 49ers lean into this matchup, his ceiling is astronomical. The next chart is Brandon Ayuk's profile. Uh, Everything I just mentioned kind of jumping off the page along with everything else. It doesn't really have any clear holes in his profile. Just really, really strong season from Ayuk. George Kittle is always a risky bet with Debo Samuel in the lineup. But this looks like an exceptional big play setup. Like Ayuk, Kittle attacks the splash zone at a high rate, gets open at an elite rate, and delivers elite efficiency. It's very plausible the 49ers aren't pushed enough to fully unleash Kittle, but he's a great efficiency bet in this matchup. Then I've got Kittle's profile, and it's kind of like the tight end version of the Ayuk profile, a little less exciting, you know, kind of across the board, but you know, the tight end eligibility here makes this pretty interesting. One thing to note is that Ayuk really does attack downfield with a, or sorry, Kittle attacks, I'm getting them confused. Kittle attacks downfield with a 10.5 dot on top of running a ton of routes, getting open at a high rate, 
being very efficient with an elite 2.25 yards per route run. Uh, he doesn't generate targets as much as we'd like. That's always the complaint with Kittle. Only 19% targets per route run, but definitely set up for uh, the potential for big plays here. Samuel's outlook is a little less exciting, but he's also a highly skilled wide receiver with rushing ability on a team with a 26.75 team total. He's a locked-in wide receiver too. Then I've got Samuel's profile. Uh, targets per route run of 21% is pretty good, but not great. Yards per route run of 2.06. That's that's pretty darn good. Um, so you know we don't want to get too carried away with you know getting excited about Ayuk at the expense of Samuel. Samuel's also a very good wide receiver. The major concern for 49ers receivers is that there may not be a ton of passing volume this week. The Buccaneers are unlikely to push the 49ers, and although the Buccaneers rank first in EPA allowed per rush, the other advanced metrics paint them as an exploitable run defense. Then I have the rushing matchup. Yeah, and the Buccaneers, they have allowed the lowest, uh, the least efficiency per rush. Um, but they're 32nd in run stop win rate. So that's that's like kind of classic paper tiger stuff, I think. And, and you know, the 49ers just did this to the Jaguars, where they kind of exposed them as a bit of an overrated run defense. They are not going to be worried about the Buccaneers' run defense here. The 49ers are a very strong rushing offense. And the 49ers have a clear identity when playing from ahead. They establish the run. Then I've got the expected pass rate chart. The dictating the run quadrant here in the bottom left-hand corner is kind of the 49ers zone. These are you know the teams that are running the ball a lot, but they're doing so from you know, game scripts where you would expect them to be running a lot. And the Eagles, the Ravens, the Lions are definitely doing that, but the 49ers are in the very bottom corner of the chart. Fortunately, the Buccaneers have been so bad at defending the pass, they have become a major pass funnel. The 49ers may still opt for their typical run-first approach, but there's quite a bit of upside here if they follow the established game plan. Then I've got the pass rates and the Buccaneers. Teams are shifting to the pass with a 6% shift in pass rate of expected against the Buccaneers. They have a 4% pass rate of expected uh, average against the Buccaneers. Teams are averaging a 67% pass rate against the Buccaneers. So yeah, you do have a 49ers team that is generally going to run the ball, but you also have the Buccaneers pass funnel defense that's terrible at stopping the pass. So, you know, are they going to go Cowboys here? Probably not as aggressive as the Cowboys have been uh, in these type of spots, but but that's a similar setup. Christian McCaffrey has spoiled us. It's wild that a 20.3 PPR outing can go down as genuinely disappointing, but it's hard not to feel let down by McCaffrey's touchdownless performance against the Jaguars. McCaffrey now gets another overrated run defense and should be in another high-scoring offensive outing, even if the Buccaneers are as thoroughly shut down on offense as the Jaguars. As always, he's an elite running back one. The next chart is McCaffrey's profile. It is green across the board. He is averaging 20.1 expected points per game, and he's delivering very efficiently on top of that. The dude is about to deliver a legendary season. you love to see it. All right, that'll do it for this free preview of the Week 11 walkthrough. If you want to hear the rest or read the rest, head on over to legendaryupside.com. You can sign up there for 10 bucks a month or $99 for the year. I uh, hope you have a great Week 11, and I'll see you next time.